Welcome to Patient Stories. My name is Dr. Bertrand Liang, and these are stories about some remarkable people whom I've met through the opportunity of being a physician. Zoe was 31 when I first met her in my general outpatient clinic due to a seizure. From her chart, I could see she had a diagnosis of a kind of ovarian cancer, one of the most common types. I also noted that she had had a seizure just a few weeks ago and had been placed on anti-seizure, or what we call anti-convulsant medication, and then referred to me. Moving through the notes, it was clear that Zoe had survived a long time with her tumor, at least three years, which was unusual, given these tumors typically had a short average time of survival. I also noted that she had seen her oncologist that morning, and that her MRI scan of her brain had been done the week before. I flipped from the notes into the general imaging portion of her chart and pulled up the scan from a week ago. Going through it, it was blatant what was the problem. In the back of the brain, Zoe had multiple lesions or metastases, no doubt from her ovarian cancer. There were even where the usual distribution for that type of tumor was, and there are at least two masses present, as well as considerable swelling. Well, I thought, that answers that. I'm not exactly sure why she needs to see me to take care of it. I went to the visit from that day, and the patient's oncologist had already dictated her note. She was on her third course of therapy, and the assessment plan noted for seizures, follow-up neuro, today. When the patient arrived, she was with an older-looking gentleman, quite distinguished appearing, and wearing a tie and a tweed coat. As I introduced myself, he quickly pointed out that he was the patient's father, even before the patient herself could say so. As we began our discussion, he interrupted me and asked if I was a father, to which I acknowledged. He then described to me what horror it was to see his daughter have a seizure, and that I must do everything I could to prevent it from happening again. I looked over at the patient, who expressed little surprise or emotion of the statement but just a calm look of tolerance, presumably practiced during her care visits previously. I told the patient's father that was my goal and proceeded to speak with the patient about what she remembered, what did people say happened to her, and what the events were after she woke up. The patient noted that she just felt unsteady and out of sorts, and the next thing she remembers was that an EMT was asking if she was able to move onto a gurney from where she was on the floor. Her father added that she shook like a leaf in a storm and that he had witnessed the entire thing, which lasted anywhere from between 20 to 30 seconds, although it seemed like forever, he noted. It was he who called the ambulance and got her to the emergency department who stabilized her and started her on anti-seizure medications. In fact, two. Thanks for the details, I noted to the patient and her father, a little surprised that two medications were started. Did they get an MRI there as well? Well, they did a lot of tests, but I'm not sure about that. They did do one last week, said the patient. Okay, thanks, I think I saw that one. Is that where they found the spread to the brain? The patient and her father looked at one another. What are you talking about, doctor? Asked the patient's father. Um, what anti-seizure medications did the emergency department put you on? I asked quickly in response. These two, said the patient, 
handing over two orange prescription bottles. One was for Keppra, a standard anti-epileptic, and the other for dexamethasone, a steroid usually used to decrease brain swelling. Now I began to realize that something had been lost in translation. Either the doctors in the emergency department hadn't told the patient that the steroid was for brain swelling, or the patient and her father had not understood. But either way, it hadn't been clear why she was on it. And even in the context of this, the patient had seen her oncologist that morning, and there didn't seem to be any mention of this or discussion. Well, Zoe, let me show you your MRI scan from last week. And we proceeded to go over the scan, the lesions, and the swelling, which required the steroid. There was silence from her father, and the same tolerance from the patient that she had shown before. After we went over the scans, I got the question I couldn't answer but anticipated. Why didn't anyone tell us this? This is very bad, said the patient's father. I apologized, not knowing what else to do. The patient's father went on, telling how this was very, very bad, how terrible we doctors were, that it was unfair to the patient, how ridiculous it was, etc. I just nodded and didn't say anything. He finished with, it was the brain tumors that killed my mother and my sister when they had this cancer. Despite my understanding of his frustration, I was taken aback by the patient's father's last statement. There were others in the family that had this? More than one? This was the third generation in which there was the same tumor diagnosis. I again apologized and asked these questions to the patient's father, to which both he and his daughter noted that, why yes, this was in the family for three generations, and yes, it was the same cancer. Have you seen genetic counseling, I asked, after shaking my head a few times during our last interaction? No, why, asked Zoe in a perplexed tone. I then immediately blurted out my next question that I regretted. Didn't your oncologist suggest it? No, he didn't. I just said that to the patient, less calm than before. I stopped, put myself in the place of the patient, and realized that we needed to move forward rather than backward. That despite this, we needed to both address the patient's needs, but also that of the family's. And that any self-serving attitude I had would not make the situation any better. Do you have children? I asked the patient gently. She pulled out her purse and showed me a picture of a three-ish year old boy and a probably one-year-old. Born a girl, said the patient's dad proudly. All I could think about was a potential autosomal dominant situation given the every generation cancer diagnosis described, but I didn't say anything. That's wonderful. I know you've been responding to your chemotherapy, but you will need some additional therapy for those brain lesions. I'll arrange for you to see some of the radiation doctors for their opinion. Usually they do things very precisely and it doesn't take a lot of time. In the meantime, I would still would like to refer you to genetic counseling because they can help answer any questions you might have on the history in the family and potentially give us some approaches to use in the future. The patient looked at her father and then back at me. Okay, if you say so. So you think I got this from my relatives? 
I'm not so sure, I said truthfully, looking straight into the patient's gray eyes. But I said, it is a possibility, and you should know, and what implications it might have for the future. Doctor, are you saying I could have passed this on to my daughter? Asked the patient's father in an almost apologetic tone. It's all within the realm of possibility, sir. That's why I want you to see genetic counselors. They will take a very detailed history, create a family tree, and see if this could be the case. Again, it's better to know and determine what might be the future implications. The patient's father was silent for a moment. We came here to talk to you today about seizures, said the father slowly, but we'll leave here with so much more to consider. I began to apologize both to the patient's father and to the patient. No, doctor, it's not your fault. You just happen to be the person who put it all together. Zoe isn't my only daughter. Zoe has children. We do need to know what's going on. Going from being angry and down on the system, and I would say appropriately so, to now having to go out and think about what implications would be in the future had to be incredibly tough, especially as a parent, when you realize it might be your genes that could be causing the issue in one's child. Well, thank you for coming in and tolerating our limitations, I noted, after creating the consults and plans needed to follow up. We'll figure this out together and get some answers. Sounds good, said the patient, returning to her calm demeanor. And can we talk about driving at our next appointment? I acknowledged we could, as long as she didn't have any more seizures. I appreciate your graciousness, said the patient's father. I asked you before if you were a father. You must know how I feel to know that I might be responsible for my daughter's cancer. Sir, we just don't know yet. There are so many other factors that you can't take this just upon yourself. We all face circumstances of life one day at a time. We can't do anything about yesterday. We can't even do anything about tomorrow. But we can do something about today. I smiled. You can see the Buddhist in me. Zoe's father smiled, a sad smile back. We'll see you again, doctor. I shook both their hands, and as I left the room, thought about Zoe's dad's angst. As someone trained in genetics and medicine, these things do happen. We take them for granted in the family trees and filled in boxes and circles we make to note the affected family members. But sometimes it takes a live experience to know what it must feel like to be one of those affected, more than just a colored in shape, and look down a generation to see that we might have been responsible of affecting someone we love, someone like our children. Thank you very much for joining me for Patient Stories. Be happy, be healthy, and find peace.